but first uh, from Exodus chapter 20, the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Psalm 78 verses 1 to 8. Um, my people hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have, to have told us. We will not hide from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statuses for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose heart were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. Thanks, Eric uh, and, and Ella for those readings. Guys, before we, uh, before we study God's word, let me, uh, let me just pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your great love shown to us, your word available to us, Lord, and your spirit to interpret it to our hearts and to our minds. Father, we pray that this afternoon as we come under your word, that we would um, be uh, open to uh, you uh, <clears throat> teaching us more of yourself, Lord, and of your love for us, that as a result, Lord, we would come to be more like you day by day. For we ask this in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Well, um, many years ago, many years ago, before Claire and I were married, uh, we were just getting to know each other. It was fascinating to find out more about what was important to her, what made her happy. Uh, now, I recall specifically finding out about the importance of birthdays to Claire. In my family, we didn't make a big deal of birthdays. Uh, we weren't big on celebrations, really. We remembered birthdays. Uh, and my parents were, and, and, and still are, very generous. But there were no real celebrations. Uh, but a week before Claire's birthday, I hadn't so much as mentioned it, really. And I found out that I didn't know how important the marking of a birthday was to Claire. Uh, she didn't want a big present. Uh, that wasn't important. Uh, but in her family, one of the ways that they demonstrated love to each other was by ma the marking of birthdays, by celebrating them. I realised what was important to her. I didn't know before. And uh, knowing that, hopefully I've behaved appropriately ever since. You can ask Claire over coffee if that's the case. You see, finding out what is important to people influences what we do for them and how we demonstrate love for them. And so to the people of Israel, as we've seen over the past few months, they've been brought out of slavery in Egypt and into freedom. Freedom to obey and serve God. Freedom to enjoy his blessing in the land that he promised to Abraham. And we've seen over the past two weeks how having rescued his people from Egypt, God provided rules. Uh, so that they might know him and know what is important to him, so they might know how to obey and serve him. So pause for just a moment. If Israel didn't have the commandments and 
some people don't like rules, as we've said already. How would it have known how to obey God? How would they have known how to live in a way that pleased him? They would be like me, not knowing that the marking of birthdays is important, but on a much, much more serious level. Um, knowing what was important to God enabled Israel to obey and serve the one who had rescued them. Knowing what was important to God enables us to respond to his love shown to us, allows us to serve and obey him. So earlier I, I left you with a question. What does the, uh, what does the Ten Commandments, or in particular the Fifth Commandment here, tell us is important to God? Well, let me just lay out where we're going today with this. You see, I don't think this is just about children, but we'll see from the Bible that you guys are really important to God. And it does have some clear instructions for you. I don't think this is just for the parents either, but we'll see in the Bible that you, we are important to God. Uh, the passage will hopefully challenge us too. It's challenged me particularly as I've, I've prepared over this past uh, few weeks. Uh, and I do think we'll see that there's a challenge for us as a whole church today. And that's because in this commandment, it's my prayer today that we'll see that the Bible, it, it, from the Bible, that family, family is really important to God because it's God's way of bringing successive generations to put their trust in him and to remain faithful to him. So have your Bibles with you and, and follow with me. And as with all good sermons, this one's got three points. We'll start by looking at what the commandment meant then, at the time of Moses and the Israelites. Uh, then we'll have a look at what it means now in the time of the new covenant. And then we'll finish by looking at how this should affect the way we live now. So firstly then, then. Well, it's actually quite a simple command. It's directed to children that they should honour and look up to their parents. Well, I could probably stop there. But there's more to it. Let's have a look elsewhere in the Old Testament. In the further laws that applied at the time of the Old Testament, we see how seriously this was taken. So here from a little later on in Deuteronomy 21, if someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother, will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother should take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. You should say to the elders, this is son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Hmm. Okay, well, this sounds serious, doesn't it? But, but, but understandable. Uh, book a slot with Marco and uh, the elders will speak with your stubborn son. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll sort that out. Don't worry. But it gets a little bit more serious than that. Because the following verse says, then all the men of the town will stone him to death. You must purge the evil among you. All of Israel will hear it and be afraid of it. That's a bit more serious. I'm guessing we probably won't have an online sign-up for this amongst KCC. Exodus 21 has a similarly serious message. Uh, if anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. 
Well, firstly, I must remind you that these two subsequent passages from Deuteronomy and Exodus 21, they apply to Old Testament times only, but they are really striking, aren't they, in their seriousness, their severity. This is the God of creation who loves his people, who saved them from uh, the tyranny of Egypt. Why did he save them for this serious and this severe punishment for children that don't honour parents? Well, let me explain And I'll use Psalm 78 that Ella read for us earlier, because it shows God's model for the family. Well, first of all, it starts by informing the reader that it's teaching and it's a parable. It isn't just a psalm to record history. This is teaching. So we should listen. What is it the psalmist wants them to learn? Well, establish the law in Israel. Ask about the law. Okay, that's helpful because that's what we're looking at at the moment. And he's commanded our ancestors, so those of uh, Moses' time, to teach their children. So the next generation would hear. And that they, in turn, would tell their children. This is how parents are to teach their children, who are to teach their children, who are to teach their children. We start to see the intended role for the family, teaching, so that the truth of God would pass to the next generation. And the psalm continues. It tells us what the result of this will be. The result will be, having been taught, the next generation will then put their trust in God, not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. And that was important, wasn't it? The first generation were in awe of the God who brought them out of Egypt. But soon even they grumbled. We see they were stubborn and rebellious. The psalmist refers to that. But pretty soon thereafter, those amazing deeds would be forgotten. And maybe with them, God's commands and people's trust in God. So the result of the teaching through generations, the result of family teaching, is that God's people will continue to trust in him, not forget his deeds, but keep his commands. So that they, the children, might remain faithful to God, put their trust in God, the God of rescue, that these children would also teach their children, and so on. And that's why, I think, parental obedience to parents was so important. Because a rejection of parents, a rejection of their teaching in particular, was a rejection of God. A rejection of uh, his rescue, a rejection of his salvation and that's why it's treated so seriously and we can see that from the second half of the command it comes with a promise doesn't it why should i honor your, my father and mother well so that you may live long in the land that the lord is giving you i don't think this is a, a promise of long land, long life for just that first generation but rather a promise of generation upon generation remaining in god's promised land enjoying his god's blessing and the means of enjoying this the means of this generation to generation remaining in the land the family the family the family is god's way of bringing successive generations to put their trust in god and remain faithful to him receiving okay well 
what does it mean now? Because um, they were Old Testament times, weren't they? they that was Old Covenant. Um, we don't need this tradition of, of passing uh, history on by word of mouth. We're more sophisticated than that, surely. Um, we live under the New Covenant. We're, we're beyond this. Well, actually, the, the Apostle Paul didn't think so. The Apostle Paul uh, in Ephesians uh, 6 uh, repeats the command. And as children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He quotes the commandment. And then in Colossians 3, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So Paul is clear that the Old Testament commandment continues under the new covenant. God hasn't changed. Indeed, Christ himself was obedient to his parents. We read in Luke 2 of an occasion when, while visiting Jerusalem, Mary and Joseph leave the 12-year-old Jesus behind in the temple. I can only imagine that must have led to a bit of a row. I thought you had him. No, no, I thought you had him. Where is he then? Well, he's in Jerusalem. I can imagine that must have been a bit of a bust up. But following that, they find the infant Jesus, the 12-year-old Jesus, in the temple. He explains why he had to be there. And then they return to Nazareth. And he was obedient to them. If ever any human had a sound basis for not obeying their parents, for um, knowing better, it would be Jesus. Jesus, present at creation, though, knows how important the family is intended to be. And therefore, he too is obedient to his parents. So the commandment is confirmed. Indeed, Paul expanded it to show that intent of the family that we saw earlier in the Old Testament. Fathers, he continues in Ephesians 6, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So here we see again that lovely picture of the knowledge of the Lord cascading through the generations as they're trained and instructed in it. So the command is reaffirmed. Family is really important because it's God's way of bringing successive generations to put their trust in him and remain faithful to him. Well, how should this affect the way we live now? So we've done then, now, now here's the how. How should we, how should this affect the way we live now? Well, first of all, I'm going to talk to children and parents. Uh, now, before I go any further, let me just remind you that I wasn't selected for this sermon because I've got parenting sorted. That absolutely isn't the case. I've not been shortlisted for the next series of Britain's Best Parent, I can assure you. Uh, quite the opposite at times. Ask any of my children, uh, and I suspect they'd be able to come up with quite a list of, of my shortcomings as a parent. Um, let me also say at this point that I appreciate that not everybody's experience of childhood or parenting, or, uh, that everybody's experience is different and for some not positive, and I understand that that's difficult. Furthermore, I wouldn't seek to tell you how to be a child or a parent based on my wisdom alone. That wouldn't serve you well. But as we've seen, the Bible does have a clear view about the importance of family and its role. And that's what I'll try to bring to bear here. I'm going to do so by coming back to Ephesians 6. 
And children, I guess I'm going to start with you. There is a simple, clear instruction here to honour and obey your parents. Now, if ever they ask you to do something that is contrary to your faith, at, at that point, you would be excused for not obeying. But I think that's the only exclusion, guys. Uh, for parents of smaller children, then, obedience is not an unreasonable expectation. The Bible commands it. But the Bible also teaches us that obedience isn't innate. They're not born that way, children, I'm afraid. Um, I wasn't. My children weren't, on the contrary. Uh, but with love and gentleness, we need to help our smaller children to learn it. Loving our children isn't simply letting them have what they want. That isn't biblical love. Now, that gets much more nuanced, I think, as children grow towards their teens. We want our children to grow in freedom and responsibility. Of course we do. There'll be areas where we discuss and we decide together. But there is an underlying expectation that obedience does remain. Whilst children are still a member of our household, I think that is the case. Uh, but to the teenagers then, do be aware that honouring parents isn't necessarily where your culture will lead you. Uh, the way that you talk about your parents will also need to reflect the honour that you're called to display. And the way you communicate, not just by talking, but by other means, is called to reflect that. But that's been a fairly negative rundown so far, but I, I do think that this honour isn't an overbearing, cold, seen and not heard, Victorian era thing. The centre of the family should be our love for Christ and our desire to see the next generation put their trust in God. It's unlikely to be successful by a seen and not heard attitude. Uh, let me give you an example. One of my children bought me this mug. It warns, if you can't quite read the text, and it says, caution, subject to outbursts of embarrassing jokes. Well, preparing for this sermon caused me to stop and ponder. Is this a lack of honour? Well, no. Good news, Theo, is it isn't a lack of honour. You're off the hook. This gift accurately reflects a family's shared understanding, my family's shared understanding that my jokes aren't the best, frankly, uh, sometimes quite the opposite. This is one of my foibles, and we all laugh together at it, and I laugh along as well. I'm, I'd love that. I'm delighted that we can laugh at that. So honouring isn't overbearing. It's in the context of a loving family. Let me also say, and I say this with, with great sensitivity, that honouring our parents doesn't stop as they get older. How we speak of them remains important, as does how we care for them. Um, the past few weeks have been difficult for Claire and I, more difficult for some of you I know, with parents who are advanced in years, as we are concerned for them. How we care for them as they become older must reflect our honouring of them. Each situation will be different, but the commandment remains to honour our parents, no matter how old. Uh, suffice to say, uh, Jesus on the cross in John 19 showed undiminished care for his parents 
as he asks in amongst his last acts as human here on earth, he asks John to care for his mother Mary as if he were her son. Well, I, I can almost hear the uh, children shouting at the screens, though. Um, what about verse 4 of Ephesians? We've majored on children being obedient. But what about uh, fathers not exasperating your children, but rather bringing them up in the instruction of the Lord? And they'd be right. And there are two clear instructions to us here, aren't there? Parental teaching of the next generation, bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Verse 4, parents are told... To, um, that it's their responsibility. And I think it is, it says fathers, I've taken advice on this, I think it is both parents, but there's a clear expectation that it's not dads, this is clearly not to be left to their mums. Um, as I am prone to do, I know. Are we doing this? Are we training and instructing our children? It isn't an area I think I've done or do particularly well, I, I admit. And secondly, don't exasperate our children. Rather, I guess we should be living uh, parents as an example. Uh, uh, those growing more like Christ, demonstrating love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I, I, I could do with a full measure of those every day as a dad. Because here's the thing, parents. We can't do that without ensuring that we as Christians, are fed. Uh, if our children's activities or wants mean that we parents regularly miss church meetings, then we're not doing the right thing for our children. The little diagram is the one that uh, you, we used to see on a thing that used to be called international air travel. It, it happened back in the uh, previous years. And it talks of putting your own oxygen mask on before you assist a small child. The point being, if you don't, you're no help to anybody. Let me repeat, if, if our children's activities or wants mean that we parents regularly miss church meetings, then we're not doing the right thing for our children. We're not loving them as the Bible commands. Well, let me finally then come to the role of the church in this. And I, uh, I show you this gorgeous chat. Um, I, don't, I don't know what happened along the way, but here's a picture of me when I was less than three years old. Um, this used to take pride of place on my parents' wall uh, before uh, before they had grandchildren, and then it got put in the loft. Uh, you'll note it's uh, before colour was invented, which gives you a clue as to how old I am. And I'm holding what we had to entertain ourselves before there were iPads. The teddy bear here, this was given to me by my grand, my mum's mum. Uh, I was the oldest of her grandchildren, and you can imagine, I'm sure, the warmth and love that existed between us. Um, but I wasn't always as angelic as the picture here would have you think. Indeed, I recall one day uh, being told off for being rather cheeky to my parents. Upset at the telling off, I ran to my gran and her warmth and love for, for consolation. Rather than excusing me and my bad behaviour, as I rather hoped she would, I clearly remember her telling me that my parents were right to rebuke me for being cheeky. And she was right. My gran didn't tell me off, but she reinforced the importance of honouring my parents. You may not have children, or your children may not be part of KCC. 
that you can reinforce the importance of honoring parents by the way you talk about your parents, by the way that uh, you talk to your parents if they attend with you, by encouraging children to honor their parents. I, you know, for example, I want to thank the, the leaders of the 11 to 14 group who a couple of weeks ago studied this exact passage, encouraging Theo to, to honor me and Claire. That's brilliant. Thank you. But it happens more conversationally as well. It isn't necessarily just the taught aspect. Let me pop up on the screen uh, the findings of a three-year research project into the factors that help young people develop mature faith. It'll prompt some thoughts for a few of us, I'm sure. How do young people develop mature faith? The key factors, it was found, involvement in all-age worship, children, uh, teenagers who serve and build relationships with younger children, and when adults made the effort to get to know them. Look, guys, as the church, we are more important than I suspect we realise in the development of the faith of our young people. Not just in the youth group, not just in Sunday school. I won't embarrass them now, but I'm really grateful to members of this church and to others who take the time to get to know our children as individuals to study the Bible with them, to invite them over for meals. You are more important to them than you realise, and thank you. Now, I think, by the way, Eric has done a great job this afternoon in trying to see what can be done with a Zoom service to make it more engaging. It's difficult at the moment, isn't it? Difficult to engage our children in a service like this. Uh, I'd love to hear from you what engages your children on Sunday uh, on a Sunday service over Zoom, and also what doesn't, because we want our services to be all-age church worship, all-church worship. Let me know, please. I would really appreciate that. Because the church, as God's family, has a key role in helping successive generations put their trust in God and remain faithful to him. Uh, right, let me leave you with something that I've realised as I've prepared this. Uh, you'll recall that I wasn't used to birthday celebrations when I met Claire. Uh, that was important to her, but it wasn't something of my experience. But here's the thing, here's the thing. And they now really like birthday celebrations. Uh, I wouldn't be without them. We have lovely celebrations for our children's birthdays. They're a highlight of, uh, of the year. And that's because as we understand somebody better and grow to love them more, we start to love what they love. I've started to love what Claire loves in this instance. How much more then with Christ? As his spirit works within us to make, make us more like him, as we understand what is important to him, we'll come to love what he loves. I've talked through some tough things this afternoon but we don't labor, labor in vain to obey him. By his spirit, Christ strengthens and transforms us daily. He forgives our failed attempts. He loves us constantly. He cheers us to, uh, daily. He, he intercedes with us when our words and prayers fail. We're not tackling this alone. And we're doing it in loving response to the one who saved us, who rescued us as he rescued his people from Egypt.
So let me close in prayer before I hand back to Eric. Heavenly Father, thank you for showing us what's important to you. Father, as we seek to honour and obey our parents, to teach and train our children, and as a church to encourage successive generations to put their trust in you, Lord, and to remain faithful to you, Father, would you strengthen us from out of your glorious riches with power by your Spirit. Amen.